Hi, this is Helen, and thank you for joining me for a cup of teal. Teal is shorthand for the future of work. It means bringing your whole self to work, a focus on purpose and self-management. And this podcast is a chat over a cup of tea with the people who are making this happen in health, care and public services. Stories of self-management in action. Neighbourhood Midwives were one of the first pioneering self-managing teams in health. And one of its co-founders, Annie Francis, talks to me today about how they got started, why they got started, and how they've managed to achieve such a strong sense of psychological safety within the team. I'm sat with Annie Francis in her sitting room in London, excited to hear about how Neighbourhood Midwives got started. Hi, Annie. Tell us the story. Why did you do this? Um, hello, Helen. <laughs> and um, so I think that we, we were a group of midwives. We were four independent midwives. And for a long time, we had this dream, this vision of providing the sort of care that we gave as independent midwives within the NHS. Um, and we sort of worked on it, what it might look like, how it could be incorporated or integrated into the NHS. And over a number of years, we sort of worked on that. We eventually got um, our investors involved who gave us lots of support. We got a grant, which sounds amazing now, from the Social Enterprise Investment Fund back in the day of £250,000 as a grant. Um, and that wow. was to mm-hmm. develop... Um, a community midwifery team um, that gave continuity of carer and the reason that we were on that journey and the reason that actually we then got involved with the um, social enterprise investment fund and others was because of the insurance issue so that was driving it that uh, mandatory um, insurance was coming and everybody saw that this was a great opportunity to bring what we provided into the NHS So in 2013, we had got as far as um, creating the organisation Neighbourhood Midwives and we launched on July the 1st. Um, uh, There was a long backstory which involved the fact that the Health and Social Care Act came into um, being just while we were... because we wanted to go straight into the NHS um, and we realised that there was far too much going on at that point with mm-hmm. all the reorganisation with the Lensley reforms um, and so when we sat down with our investors they did suggest uh, that we should start as a private small private organisation because of course we had no track record we did as individual independent midwives but not as an organisation so so we went back to the drawing board slightly because obviously we had to rethink how that might work but it was absolutely the best thing we did because we then got started and we grew very slowly so the numbers of the of women that found us um, and um, asked us to be their midwives, made it very doable because we had an awful lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit about that because my three daughters, as you know, were all born with the support of independent midwives, and I know what a different experience that can be for a woman. But you were doing more than that. It wasn't just the amazing continuity of care. Why self management? 
So one of the things that uh, we all felt very strongly about, um, and we'd been self-employed as independent midwives, was that what we were not wanting to do was recreate a mini NHS. Um, We had all left the NHS, probably for quite similar reasons, which were to do with um, the hierarchical, bureaucratic um, people telling you um, and, and putting in place the conditions in which you worked. Uh, which was deeply frustrating. So I've never enjoyed that. (laughs) I've never stayed in an organisation where that happens. Um, And so we had this idea that if we could do this as self-employed midwives, i.e. plan our own diaries and think about how we needed to um, do all the other tasks, um, we did it as a small team, for example. I was in a team of three. And we covered all the things that you would do, that managers would do. Mm -hmm. So, So... we were very sort of um, naive in that we just thought we'll be just like that, but now as an organisation. And it's more complicated than that. But actually the essence of it was the same, that that you have a team of midwives who create um, the roles and fulfil those roles and run their own diaries and do their own thing. And you have a sort of central support team we, we started off calling it a central management team and realized actually that rather <laughs> defeated the purpose so we, we were the central support team and quite early on in that process so I'd never heard of Bertsorg or um, didn't really know anything about systems thinking and self-management as a sort of theory this was something we had, we were just devising ourselves and then I had this um, message from somebody who said have you ever heard of Bertsorg they're over in um the Netherlands and this is what and you're doing something very similar so I and they also told me about the book which everybody always quotes of course reinventing organizations mm-hmm. so I got this book and it was it was it was revolutionary in my head I had thought we were doing this thing that nobody else had ever thought <laughs> of or was doing and then I get this book and it was it was so brilliant because we realized that there had been a lot of thinking and, and so that was, that was really um, when we started to sort of properly organise. And we went over and we met Joster Block, um, who was very generous with his time. And, and sort of we came back. The big challenge that we came across was we knew where we wanted to get to. It was, it was the practical steps of getting there. Because, of course, the midwives that joined us, um, particularly as we were growing into the NHS then, um, worked in the normal NHS. Mm-hmm. We all trained in that way. Um, and to say to people, um, right, so we're going to, you're going to work as a self-managing team, um, there's an awful lot to unlearn before you start to go, okay, I'm now comfortable with this. So we made lots of, um, lots of mistakes along the way and lots, there were lots of challenges around what that felt like, particularly um, in in what is a very highly regulated mm. um, area of work because, um, you know, when you're looking after mothers and babies, there's um, the regulatory um, environment in which you're working is quite uh, restrictive. Uh, the NMC, the CQC, we became CQC registered, um, but it meant that... In order to feel that, um, to feel reassured and assured that the midwives were safe practitioners, there's an awful lot of stuff that's built in to the NHS, um, which which has ended up within the NHS um, with 
a lack of trust of your midwives and lots of um, hierarchical sort of quite rigid guidelines I mean they're called guidelines but they're they're you know if you don't follow the guidelines you're in trouble Um, so we were trying to sort of find a way of um, developing those that the midwives owned and felt um, supported by and not restricted by but we had to really learn to to trust them to trust each other um, and, the, and the way in which we did that was to, to take it step by step, really, and, and to remember that midwives, like nurses, like doctors, like people providing care, come into this profession to do their very best job. And that when we were meeting together regularly, when we were developing these different ways of working, that was what we all held on to, and, and we had to articulate that a lot because actually a lot of midwives feel that they aren't trusted in the in the sort of in the big system because they're so far removed from the people who are sort mm-hmm. of employing them um, it's easier in a small organization because you're all working together but it's a very it's quite it's quite a, a challenging journey because you also know that you're under a very big spotlight mm-hmm. particularly when we got our first um, NHS pilot we knew that Unfortunately, and this is one of the ongoing problems, I think, of all this area of work, um, it needs to be safe to try and you need to feel safe to fail. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that so our, our challenge was how do we put in place assurances that reassure the big world out there, um, but that feel comfortable and and um, acceptable and work well in what is a self-managing environment. So you're saying on the one hand, your group, your team of midwives, you guys, um, you work out your roles, you work, you know, you have your team practices, you uh, you have your ground rules, um, you work out your diary, you work together how you do all these things. And um, and by the way, you've got to prove it as well because the, the, the whole reporting requirements and the reporting. So that's quite a, a, a sort of... Um, that's an ongoing challenge, I think. It is, because at one point you and I were both registered managers for our organisation and therefore responsible to CQC for the practice of our teams. And as you said, that challenge of demonstrating trust in the people who work with us and also answering the requirements of, of regulation and commissioners is um, are two polarities to manage, I guess. So how did you do that? Could you t- talk a bit about what self-management looked like in practice in the teams? Um, so we, we had a series of policies and, um, and we had to provide those to the CQC because mm-hmm. the CQC goes through all your, uh, your sort of processes. We had a virtual office. So um, we had a private cloud and in that uh, environment, people had their own um, laptops, they used their own their own forms that bring your own um, mm-hmm. devices uh, and they had passwords and they could access. So we had a sort of central um, place in the cloud that we could all access, our virtual office. Everything was transparent in the sense that uh, when we made decisions as an organisation, so there were decisions being made and this was this was an ongoing learning for us uh, and in fact was still very much sort of ongoing when we closed about who makes decisions, how you decide uh, at what level certain decisions are made, who takes responsibility for those decisions, 
um, what is organisation-wide, what is team-wide, what's an individual-wide uh, decision, if you like. So I think the, the one thing we had all the way through was this is new to us all. Uh, and so it's completely fine to um, to get it wrong and to and to sort of uh, and to make those mistakes in communication because it's about how you communicate these new ideas while still ensuring that um, the world at large is assured that you're doing a good job. Um, so it was very much a sort of a, a work in progress throughout the entire life of our organisation. Um, so just to set it in context, we we launched in 2013 and we had two years, two and a bit years, of a private organisation, uh, providing our service privately. We then started negotiating for our NHS pilot, which we launched in November 2016. Mm -hmm. And that was very much part then of the maternity transformation programme, which came out of Better Births after a national maternity review, which I was on. When we were doing the NHS work um, and recruiting midwives into that... It was an opportunity to to refresh and look at what we had done up to that point. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the the real embedding of our self-managing techniques, if you like, came at that point. Um, we heard about you, <laughs> <laughs> and through you we met Andy, Andy Brogan, um, because we were we knew that we did not have the the right not we just as midwives we didn't know. We didn't know what we didn't know. We knew we didn't know it, mm -hmm. if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yes. Um, and we needed to take a step-by-step -step approach to how do, we, how do we make the processes, the policies and the guidelines, which, which we had all signed up to, how do we make them living and develop? How do we sort of make sure that they don't just sit on a shelf, which a lot of guidelines do, and are constantly being improved on? Um, and so Andy came into our lives um, and worked with the team and with us the, in the central support team to think about um, core capabilities. Mm -hmm. and, and the core capabilities for our organisation were basically how we looked after women. And the midwives used those core capabilities to describe from the moment a woman found us or we reached out to her through the booking process, the antenatal care, labour postnatal care and then discharge as we develop so what these core capabilities look like this was about confirmation practices mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so we we began to learn this dialogue of describing what good looks like that the midwives agreed together and said yeah that's so when you've done a good booking visit these are the ingredients that you need to check beforehand you clean in clean through and clean out so Andy introduced us to this whole language and way of really finding practical ways to, to implement what we had thought we wanted to do. So we ended up with a, a set of easily sort of checkpoints in your head uh, from the core capabilities that, that the midwives um, in the team owned and in their team, so we had regular team, they had regular team meetings, and then we had wider organisation team meetings. In their team meetings, uh, each midwife would own some of these core capabilities and would would bring them to the team. We closed before this was really mm -hmm. embedded in, but this was the, the plan. They would bring those to the team meeting and say, you know, how are you finding it? How are you, you know, 
do we need to tweak this? Are we are we sort of all comfortable? Mm-hmm. Is this still what good looks like? Mm-hmm. And it, it it was it's genius because um, it gives ownership of the type of care that women that the midwives give to the women. And because you're doing it in the team meeting and because the, the, the core capabilities are clearly written down, you can show to CQC, this is what our processes look, this is what good care looks like. And when we were inspected in um, February, we launched in November and we were inspected four months later. Wow. Um, I mean, the whole organisation was, but the new little pilot, <laughs> we did say, this is a very new pilot. <laughs> But what CQC, what, because the inspectors come in and they talk to everybody and they talk to the midwives and they talk to the people who were receiving the care, uh, we weren't given outstanding or good it, because we were an independent organisation. Mm-hmm. We, so we, we weren't rated. Yeah. But what we were able to demonstrate um, through, our, through the processes that we had at that point was that a decision that was made in the organisation that was, um, so for example, an incident. We could show that um, an incident that had happened, the midwife would alert the central support team about that incident. Our governance lead would talk to her, she would fill in a a report, they'd have a conversation about it. Uh, There may be some actions that came out of it, some ideas, suggestions. The midwife might implement those, might have, um, might take it to her team, might talk about it. But at some point, it would come, the findings, because uh, we would then, for example, say, OK, we might need to change our notes slightly mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. accommodate the learning from this incident. And then it would come to the team meeting and would be discussed there. So when CQC came, we were able to describe this journey and show it in our virtual office. Here's the incident recorded his um, evidence the discussion took place his evidence of and what the midwives did is they owned it um, so they would then share with the whole organization that you know the, the steps that they had taken or the learning that they had come out of it so so everything was about ownership of the care they gave the learning that came out of the things that happened and the trust that grew within the teams and across the teams in the organisation to feel okay about saying, I don't know if I got that quite right, because nobody judged, nobody leapt to conclusions that, you know, you've done a bad job. It was understood that, that that's what life is like. You know, you learn from, from the things that happen and you share it in the organisation. So the key parts of the team growing, uh, the organisation growing, was developing a culture of trust, of openness. The thing we always struggled with, and I think everybody does, is how do you have difficult conversations? Mm-hmm. Again, that was a real work in progress. But we, by then, if we start, we started in November 2016. During the course of that first year, um, and then into. Uh, when we we closed in January 2019. So the second half of 2018 Mm -hmm. was when a lot of that stuff was really coming together. We knew that we were on a really... We'd found not quite the Holy Grail, but we were on the path to it because the care was great, the teams were gelling, you know, it was really working. And the concept of 
teams working together, being entirely responsible for their own practice and for their teamwork, but feeling supported by the central support team was an important part of that. That felt like we were on that journey. What we hadn't done a lot of at that at the at the point we closed is really developing the coaching side mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's talk about that um, a bit as well. So it sounds like you did an amazing job of creating what people describe as psychological safety, where you're yeah. comfortable enough to share things that are difficult, things that haven't gone well, um, share things that you might even feel some shame around with your colleagues and for that to be managed and explored in a completely different way. That just sounds brilliant. Um, And the other thing you talked about is working with Andy to support teams to decide for themselves what good looks like and what the processes need to be in place to deliver good. As you say, using Andy's language of clean in, clean out and clean through and that people shared responsibility in the teams for making sure that was happening. So what was the role of the the central team? Who was in that and and how did that work? So um, we were the four founders um, initially. Uh, So we were midwives and we we all took on a variety of roles. And that was done in a very ad hoc way, as you can imagine. (laughs) When you first start an organisation, you basically, you're all over doing everything together. We were joined by a finance person and another midwife. So we ended up, and we had an administrator who was slightly more than half part-time. As midwives, we all had areas of of interest. Um, And so we went down the sort of, we we had some traditional roles. So one of the midwives had a background in um, sort of HR-related stuff. Mm -hmm. So there was a natural sort of, divvying up of the tasks and it worked well but what we were introduced to so the midwives had the core capabilities with Andy we developed what we called support capabilities and one of the things that was coming out of that which was really helpful is that we had our own weekly team meetings or CST central support team meetings that was getting quite unwieldy because we were trying to do everything. Mm-hmm. And actually, mm-hmm. when we looked, when we really sort of brainstormed what are all the support capabilities that this organisation needs to enable the midwives to do their job properly, we realised it fell into sort of two distinct groups. And one was around sort of the operational side of the mm-hmm. business and one was the sort of the governance, the... the um, looking after the midwives, the sort of te- the practical side. And the other was the business element of mm-hmm. it. So the contractual stuff and, and all of that. And, and what we did was we, we sat down together um, for a, a day, a workshop day, of really clearly beginning to define what the roles were that each of us were doing and how we needed to move them around a little bit. Um, and we did something called, um, how do you pronounce it, Ikigai? That's good enough, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> which, um, which, again, Andy sort of introduced, which was about what makes you happy. <laughs> what's the stuff that, mm. you know, gets you up in the morning? What do you know you're good at? And what's the stuff that perhaps you'll do at the moment, but perhaps isn't quite as close to your heart as some of the other elements? I mean, a lot of it was as we expected, but there was some really sort of, it was a useful opportunity for Eleanor, for example, to say, well, I do the IT stuff. And the reason that she did that was because 
her partner was in IT. So she sort of got landed with stuff that wasn't her first love, but she was really good at because she was a great planner um, and very well organised in her work. She also ended up taking on things like screening, the whole of the screening side of things, because she was very organised. And when we went through this process, we realised that these things were not... They, were, they shouldn't stay in her portfolio. For mm -hmm. So it was, it was a conversation. And by, when you worked with a group of people for a long time, you have these conversations about, you know, moving things around a little bit, which, uh, you, ha which you have to be very sensitive about. E each of us recognised that, that there were elements that we all did that we either weren't so good at or we didn't enjoy so much or it was time to hand over to somebody mm -hmm. else. So they're mm -hmm. quite... So that process of using the um, Ikigai, Ikigai um, really helped us sort of do it in quite a systematic and systematised way. It took the, um, the personal element out of it. It was very possible to say, actually, um, I think I'd be quite good at doing this. This is what I want to do. This is, this is the stuff that I'm not so keen on. And so we were developing a plan about how we could move things um, so we basically ran the organisation. We were the equivalent of the Burtzorg sort of back team. Mm -hmm. um, and because we were early on in our sort of organisation in terms of the NHS team, one of the things that we realised, and this is where trust is really important, I think, we had said to the midwives, this is how we all worked as independent midwives, and we didn't have set hours you were available to women and when you weren't working you could be at the theatre you know whatever so that worked well when the midwives didn't have huge numbers but as the NHS team developed they realised that they were they were not getting many downtimes it, it that wasn't working for them so there was a conversation about putting in place a rotor and you know there was anxiety about losing continuity of care when you had a rotor because that's Things like the slippery, this is a slippery mm, slope, mm, you, you know, we'll, mm. we don't want to end up sort of moving away from this core identity, our, our purpose, which was to provide this continuity of care or service. But the midwife, we said to the midwives, this is clearly important for you guys. And it's important for us that you are not feeling burnt out, that you're not going down that road, because that's a, such a classic thing for these types of services mm -hmm. where midwives end up feeling like that so the agreement was they would come up with a rotor and it was theirs to own to develop to make work between themselves our anxiety our um there's something in uh, brave new work mm -hmm. where they talk about aaron dignan and he talks about it's a three-pronged approach. You identify what the tension is, mm -hmm. and then you develop practices to test that yes. tension. Yes. And then you have an experiment mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. sort of... So our rotor, the, the rotor that the midwives came up with, when I read that book, I thought that's exactly what, what we did without mm -hmm. realising that was what it was. So the tension was their hours, and they needed to, to know when their time off was, as well as their regular holiday... So they came up with the rotor as the practice to sort mm -hmm. of um, to see if that would work. And the experiment, we did it for three months, and the uh, evaluation of that was if the if the continuity, which we measured by 
how many women had a midwife that they knew at the birth. Um, and interestingly, the three months of this rota, the continuity on average was around 90%, which was actually slightly higher than it had been. Oh, right. Oh, that's interesting. And I think that was because they developed this really rather brilliant rota, I think, that accommodated the flexibility to... So they would have off-call, and but they'd have two different types of off-call. And one was, we're definitely off-call, we're out of London, mm-hmm. we're, we've mm-hmm. got a big family event, or we just need to have a duvet day, definitely. Mm-hmm. And they, they had another type of off-call, which was, if a woman that I'm primary midwife for mm-hmm. is niggling, I'm actually, although I'm off, I'm around. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they could choose to be available um, for that woman. Um, and they made it work between them, so that that... And they would be able, they were able to look ahead, know when their holiday was coming. The primary and the second midwife, they could they could read the rotor ahead, and where they thought okay there may be a problem, they would introduce a third midwife. So they they were sort of managing that through the rotor. And for me, there is an ongoing difficulty in the in the maternity transformation program, which is national policy is to have most women experiencing continuity of care by 2021. And midwives don't really want to provide it. That's not all midwives. Some midwives are very keen, obviously. Lots of midwives are keen. But it's the on-call and off-call that's mm. the problem. Mm. So for me, this the way in which we were operated, so self-managing, a self-managing team of midwives is the most effective way of ensuring that you can provide this way of work, this type of care, continuity of care, but unless you can find a way of doing it that works for the midwives, in the end, it doesn't work in the long run because mm-hmm. midwives get burnt out and midwives don't last in those types of teams because they give it their all and they're not close enough, they're not in charge of organising their time enough and feeling that sense of ownership over their team, the whole team. Mm, mm. Um, And that's what I think, that was the huge success of what we did. And that's, I think, where if the NHS is going to sort of be successful in in introducing continuity of care as the main form of midwifery care, this is what they've got to develop, this type of model. Yes. So... What I've heard you saying is there's three really significant differences between the way that you operate and more traditional NHS services. And the first one is is defining what good looks like. So so Mm. actually wrestling with, you know, what does great support look like? What will it look like before, during and after different episodes of of support? And what does that mean for policies and procedures and how you work? So a huge difference that... Um, your team the women were able to define that themselves really clearly and keep bringing it back to the team to explore have we got this right or not so that's really very very different because typically they are specified by regulators or HR or other people the second thing is the psychological safety that's amazing how you, you did that and I think you're right that part of it is how do we create environments where it's okay to show up having made mistakes and to work on those together and that not to be blame culture, mm. but a genuine opportunity to learn. And then how you use your resources. And of course, the resources are women's time. And you describe so beautifully that the women made the decisions about what the rota looked like. And that's such a hard thing to do. 
but you have to have you know rotor by rotor developed by the people who are going to be delivering it in search of the best support for the women who are going to be giving birth but having to take care of their own well-being absolutely so that they don't burn out yeah thank you annie it's been great talking to you and i look forward to our next podcast thank you helen it's been a real pleasure thank you for listening i'd love to hear your reflections please tweet me i'm at helen at wb teams this podcast is a companion to open teams on this podcast, we share the voices and stories of pioneering organizations in health, care, and public services. And on Open Teams, you can see the documents that they're using. Have a look at openteams.co.uk. And if you're interested in wellbeing teams, please come and find me on LinkedIn, where I share a weekly two-minute film, or my blog site, helensanderson.net. And finally, if you're interested in self-management and need some support along the way, I'd love to hear from you. I'm at helen at wellbeingteams.org. Thank you.